Hi, this is Pastor Mike Gordon, and welcome to Bethel Brandon's Sunday Message. For more information about this podcast and more resources, visit us at BethelBrandon.ca. We are um, continuing on a series on the book of Proverbs, and... And the Proverbs is, is really an interesting book, and it will say things through, through incredible passages of Scripture that we have memorized, that are really popular to us, and we kind of know them, kind of, we kind of quote them. But there are other times where the emphasis of Proverbs and, and the way that Solomon um, brought emphasis on subjects is through the fact that he talked about them all the time, just continually talked about them. And... Um, this is one of those times where he does. And it was one of those, those messages where I kind of said, I kind of hate this message because I realize after I preach it to myself that I'm not doing enough. And the ideal is not to make people feel guilty. I think that's a terrible way to advance. But if I can somehow challenge you to take one or two steps in the right direction, I feel like I have done my job that the Holy Spirit will, will lovingly nudge us. And so I want to talk about the, called, the call um, to care. Because what Proverbs does and what Solomon did in the book of, uh, of Proverbs is he un- gives an undeniable emphasis in the fact that there's an inextricable link between your mission and your money. How you make money and how you minister go hand and hand. And Proverbs, um, all the Proverbs, kind of, and many of the Proverbs they talk about, as a matter of fact, as I was doing some study, I realized that there are 101 verses in the book of Proverbs that deal directly or indirectly with money and the poor and our attitude towards money, hard work towards money, attitudes towards the poor, attitude towards the rich, that there are those people who strut around like they have a million dollars and have nothing, while at the same time there are people who strut around, well, don't really strut around, they kind of sneak around like they got nothing and they've got like a million dollars in the bank. And he, he goes on to talk about greed and provision and giving and debt and stewardship and investment and righteous living in the whole process. And so if there are 101 verses in the book of Proverbs and there are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, basically it is saying that For every chapter of Proverbs, there are three verses, over three verses, that have to deal directly or indirectly with giving and and ministering through giving and our lives. And again, the most powerful things, the most powerful messages that Solomon has in Proverbs are not by one verse, but by dozens of verses that he kind of talks about again and again and again. So Jesus says it this way. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's hard to kind of differentiate between the two. And I found this, and I'm sure that you have found this as well, that every church is unique. You go into one church, and they kind of seem the same, but there's a little bit of a different emphasis. Even the church that I started, I planted a church a number of years ago. And that church just developed a personality. And that personality is still part of that church even to this day. You know, there's just things, actions, attitudes, the way they go about things. See, there's just a different personality in every church. And you'll find that. The other thing is this, that I have found that every church has a distinct passion. 
Not just is their personality different, their emphasis sometimes is different. There are some churches that are, it is all about the worship, and they emphasize worship, and worship is special to them. And some churches are inner city churches, and, and some churches they focus on teaching, and there are some churches which, which focus on apologetics, on defending the faith, and they're really good at it. And there's some churches that, that just have different emphasis, and it's based on the gifts that are kind of accumulated in the congregation and the passion that develops as a result. And they say, this is what? This is what? This is who we stand for. This is kind of what we emphasize as a church. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's just kind of part. That's kind of the way that it goes. But although every church has different personality and has a different passion, we also need to realize that every single church that loves Jesus with all their heart has the same priority. All of us, all churches that love Jesus have the same priority. And that priority is based on the teachings of Jesus and the word of God and the inclination of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And it is interweaved into our DNA because the word of God says that this is what we need to be. That we need to be unified as the body of Christ. It's part of every church's priority. That we need to preach the gospel. That we need to emphasize the love of Christ, and that, and that we are called to care, and that there is an emphasis on the poor. That as a Christian, as a church, it is our obligation as believers in Christ to be able to help people, even if they never, ever come into our church. We're going to help that person. Are they a member of the church? We're gonna, well, no, they're not. But based on the fact that we love Jesus with all of our hearts, we are called to care for everybody. And that becomes part of the deal. We continue in that priority, particularly in the area of being called to care. And this is seen throughout history. Perhaps you haven't heard of George Miller or George Mueller. And George Mueller was a pastor in the 1800s in Bristol, England. And what happened was there were so many, so much poverty that was happening in his community that all he did when he was going to church was seeing orphans alone on the street, and he said, we need to start an orphanage. Well, pastor, we don't have enough money to start an orphanage. He says, well, take a look. Walk to church. Walk from your house to church. Count the number of orphans that are on the street by themselves. We need to start an orphanage. Well, pastor, that's great that you do, but the prayer and the burden you have will not feed them. Well, what we'll do is we'll start something up, and we're going to trust in God to do it. And so what he does is he starts up an orphanage based on faith. Well, where are you going to get the money? Well, God's going to provide it. And God did, and started out with two orphanages, it started out with three orphanages, and, started, and it, it went on to four and five orphanages. And by the time he had died, and as he had pastored in that community for over 60 years, 67 years, there were 10,024 orphans that were ministered based on faith alone. And there's very few people that have exemplified the ministry of faith than George Mule. He is like a giant in the church history uh, in the church, church history writings. At the same time in England, in the 1800s, in the middle of the 1800s, there's this guy who comes up. His name is, is William, William Booth. And he says, I'm sitting here in London and, and I have everything to be successful as a, as a Christian leader, but there's something that says to me that these rich people don't really want Jesus, but all these poor people want Jesus. And what I want to do is I want to begin to get on the streets and tell all these poor people that Jesus loved them. Well, that's wonderful, Pastor Booth, but they don't give anything back. As a matter of fact, what they do is they take, and they take, and they take, and they take. Stereo suicide by whatever you have in your head. So you just start thinking right now of a different way to minister to people. And he said, no, I'm going to minister to the poor. I'm going to go out into the streets every day, and I'm going to talk to the poor. 
And I'm going to do everything I possibly can to help feed the poor. Because if I can feed and I can minister to the poor, all of a sudden they will realize that there's a God that loves them. And so in 1865, William Booth starts this agency, which is called the Salvation Army. Perhaps you've heard of it. Salvation Army? We have one in our town. We, we give to that ministry. And you come to realize through history that God supernaturally blesses ministry to the poor. That God blesses missionaries who minister to the poor. That God blesses churches that reach and minister and give to the poor. Even today we see it. Perhaps you've heard of, of Pastor David Platt, who I believe is pastoring in Virginia still. And he wrote the book, which was called Radical. And if you have Right Now Media, if you don't have Right Now Media, come and talk to me afterwards. We will get you linked up. As a church, we have Right Now Media. He has a book, and he has a thing there which is called Radical, and he's talking about the poor, and he basically says this. He says, you can give and not love Jesus, but you can't say that you love Jesus and not give to the poor. That's the challenge that he has. And we have agencies like, uh, like um, World Vision and Compassion Kennedy, who in the name of Jesus help to minister to dire situations throughout the, throughout, um, the world and there's a book that was written, written a number of years ago by a fellow named Andy Stanley, who I think has the biggest church in North America, if not one of the biggest churches in North America, How to Be Rich. And, and what he says, he takes uh, a passage from Timothy and talks about the fact that if you're going to be rich, then there is, a, there is something that God wants to do through you. And, and so once a year, they devote themselves to this, and millions of dollars goes into the community. There's something that happens when we start thinking about it, and this is what... This is what Proverbs is talking about. And, and I have, as I've read and, and looked at a number of these passages, I realized that there is like a, a threefold effect. There are three things that happen. I just want to go through a few passages of scripture and I want to explain the effects that are in place. Kind of biblical rules, things that naturally happen. They're like, they're like natural laws that are in effect through the word of God and through God that ministers to poor people through you. The first one, it's called the relationship effect. And the relationship effect basically says that attention to the poor and intimacy with Christ are linked. That how you feel about poor and how you feel about Jesus should interact and interweave in our lives. And there's scriptures which show this. There's, there's the one that's in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 13. And it says this. Whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor will also cry out, and not be answered. Whoa. Can I read that one again? It's all right up here. Whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor and who all, uh, will also cry out and not be answered. Wow. So you mean to tell me if all of a sudden I get to a point where I have no care at all for, for those who are in need in my community, if I'm crying out to God, then my prayers are somewhat hindered. Well, that's what this seems to indicate. And there is a relationship effect. That as I love Jesus, I love people. And as I love people, God puts a burden on my heart to minister in whatever way I possibly can. And, and so there's the relationship effect. Um, hey, let's look at Proverbs chapter 14, verse 31. It says this. Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. But whoever is kind to the needy honors God. And so... As you take a look at that particular passage, it goes even a step further. So if, if you show contempt for poor people, it is a reflection on actually how you view God. 
And if you want to honor Jesus, if you want to worship Jesus, it will be reflected on how you care for other people. Like this is this is big stuff. This is this is major teaching which is which is going on. That it, it applies to our worship. I think I have one more, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 23. And I just kind of put part of this down because the verse was too long to kind of fit on the TV, but it says this, for the Lord will take up their case and will exact life for life. Basically, which was saying, if, if there are people, if you are obstructing the poor and they're crying out and they're crying out because of what you're doing, then all of a sudden you are going to find yourself on the wrong side of God in terms of our faith. So it's pretty, pretty intense scriptures that are mentioned and, and I believe Richard Stearns, who, who um, wrote The Hole in Our Gospel, who is the CEO for World Vision, had some great things to say. He said this. He said, God never asked us to give what we don't have. However, he can never use what we refuse to give. You see, it's not what you believe that counts. It's what you believe enough to do. The relationship effect. Well, there's another effect, which is called, what we will call the reciprocal effect. And this reciprocal effect applies to every area of giving, whether it is your tithes and your offerings, or whether it is giving to one thing or another, or giving to the poor. There is a reciprocal effect. There is what we will call a boomerang effect. And this is kind of seen throughout the scripture. And it's particularly seen in the book of Proverbs. And here's one that says here in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17, it says, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. Isn't that kind of an interesting analogy? Have you ever borrowed money from someone? You're saying, you know, whenever you, whenever you minister to people in need, it's kind of like lending money to the Lord. The reason, it, if someone comes up to me, and I know they have zero in the bank, I know they have absolutely nothing, and they say, hey, can you lend me a hundred bucks? I'm going to say, um, how are you going to pay me back? That's what we're going to say. And the reason many times we don't give to those people in need because we don't see that reciprocal effect. But God says this, if you give to those who are in need, I will pay back. I will be the one who will pay back. This is their resources, but here are my resources. And there's something that you need to be aware of in the economy of God, that you will never ever outgive God. There will be a reciprocal effect that happens there's another one, uh, Proverbs chapter 28, verse 27. It says this, Those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them receive many curses. So this reciprocal effect, you know, we want to give to the Lord because God will obviously give back to us. But there's a, there is another part that if you don't, that if you don't, there's also a reciprocal Effect. These are kind of sobering passages of Scripture if you, if you, you think about it. it. It kind of goes in line with a popular passage that we mention all the time. And it's found in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, that says, Give, and it will come back to you, good measure, um, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, poured into your lap. Because the measure that you give with is also going to be the measure that God is going to dole it out so basically, if you give in teaspoons, you will receive in teaspoons. If you give in shovels, you will receive in shovels. And so this reciprocal effect is not just seen in the book of Proverbs. It's interwoven throughout Scripture, this boomerang effect that happens. And, and the question that we have to ask ourselves is, 
does the shovel or the measurement that I use to give, does it represent in me the fact that I actually believe that this is true? There's a, what's called the reciprocal effect. And there's a third one. And you can't, you can't neglect the third one. I think the third one may be the most important. And it's called the refreshment effect. What does the refreshment effect say? Well, it basically says this. Let's forget this whole thing about a reciprocal and this whole thing about a relationship effect. Let's just, let's just forget about me getting anything back. Let's just forget about the fact that if I give through people through blessing, then I get something back. There is something within us. There is a fulfillment that happens in knowing that we have actually obeyed God. That there is a fulfillment that comes, a supernatural fulfillment that goes, that I have done the right thing. That, that, that when I have given to that person and I knew that they were not going to be able to pay the bill, and all of a sudden I realize and I've heard that they need an extra $200 to pay off the rent. And so what happens is I sense the Spirit of God working in me and I put $200 in an envelope and I slip it under the door and they don't even know that it's me. That as I drive home, I will say, that's the best $200 I spent this week. That there is something about the fact that the goodness of God resides. Something about happiness of heart. Something about the simple, basically, level of giving and loving Jesus at the purest level. Going from selfishness to selflessness. That there's an impartation of joy in simply serving Jesus. And there's a passage of scripture that talks about this. And, and I got verse uh, 11, verse, Proverbs 11, verse 25. But let me read verse 24, because I think it, it's an interesting addition. It says, one person gives freely, gains even more. Another withholds unduly and comes to poverty. In other words, there are people who hold on to their money so much, thinking that they want to keep it and ultimately lose it. But those people who give away their money, God eventually brings it back to them. But this is what it says in verse 25. It says, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Now, you will read in certain um, passages of Scripture, you will read sometimes in different renditions this. It'll say this. Whoever waters others will also be watered. Well, why does it say that? Well, because there's something about the original language in refreshment, which is kind of an agricultural term about watering a plant. That's how a plant is refreshed. And so, and so there is something about the fact of refreshment that takes place as you refresh other people. In another in a community that I ministered in, it was a smaller community, and there were two seniors' homes. And one seniors' home, you could tell that there was some rich people who were supporting that seniors' home. It was the most beautiful seniors' home that I have ever been in since before and since. It was wide open, lights of bright windows. They had a state-of-the-art ventilation system that was in there, and everything was pristine. And there was another one that was a little bit older. The building was a little bit older, and, uh, and the rooms were a little bit older. And so, therefore, the, 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 you know, they had problems here and again and, and that. But if I was going to put someone that I loved in one of those two seniors' homes... It would have been in the one that was older. Because I realized that when I walked into the room, the one had a staff that was there to minister. The other staff was there to get a paycheck. You can tell the difference. And, and, 
and I would go into the older seniors home and, and all of the people would be there and the singing would not be good and sometimes it was a cappella, and I was preaching through other people's sleep which sometimes I do here but hopefully not anyways and the other one there were times when I got there and said oh I forgot and I said can you help me bring people down and I remember just bringing people down myself to, to, to do the service but in both cases whatever the case was in terms of where I was at Every single time I left a senior's home, as I walked to my car, I always felt something, which was this. You're doing the right thing. You are actually being a conduit of my love for people. And you know, I can preach, I can prepare a sermon, I can put together lessons, and I can do administration, and all those things are good, and all those things are necessary. But there is something about that grassroots, hands-on level where you actually love people. There is something about actually being Jesus to people. There is something about giving a cup of cold water in his name. I was hungry and you fed me. To those who, ha who do prison ministry in this church, that they'll never be able to pay you back. Or volunteering for a soup line and, and giving our time and our, our efforts to people in the poor community or, or volunteering for something. And what your job is to do is to clean up the vomit of a, a drunk person who was there before. And, and as you're there cleaning things up and you got the mop going, you just feel something inside of you that says, you know, this is kind of weird and I hate the thought of doing this and I wouldn't want to do it in any other respect. But I feel somehow that I am doing exactly what God wants me to do. It's kind of like the quote that Mother Teresa has. Where someone said, how could you possibly go into leprosy colonies and, 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 and clean up after them and do the terrible things that are necessary to do? And she said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that for, for all the money in the world. And she said, neither would I, but I'd do it for Jesus. There's something about the refreshment effect which is there, and it's clear in Scripture. And There's something about pure level service. So if you don't do it for the relationship effect, and you don't do it for the reciprocal effect. We certainly do it for the refreshment effect. So basically, what Proverbs states in a number of its verses is that it's in your best interest to help the poor. Because when you do, there are laws in effect and they happen over a lifetime. They may not happen when you do them. But over a lifetime, there is something that takes place because it's interweaved within our faith. A month ago, the Tampa Bay Lightning won the Stanley Cup. And um, you say, oh, wow, they had these great players who could score a lot of goals. But nobody wins the Stanley Cup without there being people who will stand or sit or fall in front of slap shots that are going 100 miles an hour. And not only that, they will go into a corner where they know that they're going to be hurt or they'll take a hit so they get the puck out of the zone or they will rush as fast as they can to prevent an offside and, and they will dive and do everything they can to, to knock a puck out of the way because there's a penalty which is going on. You see, you don't win Stanley Cup without people like that. And to me, the call to care, which is in every one of us, that is the part of Christianity. It won't be seen on the stat sheet you won't, you, won't, you won't be recognized for, for all these wonderful things that you, maybe you will, but it, it's off case that's not the case. But that is what makes your faith real. It is the nuts and bolts of your calling to faith. The best part of your faith is the part that no one sees, and you won't get the credit. 
Here's one more passage of scripture that I wanted to show. It's right at the beginning of Proverbs. And this is what Solomon says. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. And that's the challenge. Not the guilt, but the thing that makes us walk away and say, okay, God, so, so what small thing do I do? Can I give you a, a couple of stories? You, you still seem to be with me. I don't know if many of you have heard of an individual whose name was um, Justin Wren. Justin Wren was an all-American wrestler and was quite a, a charismatic individual. He took his talents and went into mixed martial arts uh, fighting and, and was doing well. And as his, his popularity increased, so did his drug use and, and all the other things that were destroying his life. And it came to a head where, where the drugs had taken over and he was kicked off the circuit, off the team, by a lot of his peers. They said, we don't want anything to do with you. And he basically, he basically lost his dream and everything. And everyone had given up on him. And he was a wreck. And everyone but his friend Jeff gave up. And Jeff sat there and said, you know, there is a purpose. And I think that God has a purpose for you. And, and, if, you, and if you give your heart to him, it'll make a difference. So you ask him to come in, be Lord of your life, and... He said, there's a men's retreat which is coming, and I want you to come. He says, I'm expecting kumbaya in the corner, and all of a sudden I realized that you had a bunch of men who were really raw about the things that they were going through, and all of a sudden I decided to give my heart to Jesus. And so as that happens, he begins to start doing different things, different ministries, going into prisons and, and, and helping people, and, and he makes this prayer. says, God, whatever you want me to do, I will do. That's a dangerous prayer. And so what happens is one night when he goes to bed... He has this vision of a people who are starting to cry out to them. And there's this particular type of music that they're playing. It's a strange music that they don't even know about. And he's, he begins to explain the, the type of thatched roofs that these people had. And he says this word, forgotten, is just coming up and coming up. And, and he talks to his mentor, whose name is Caleb. And he says, he says this, and he says, I know the people that you're talking about. I've actually been into that village. As a matter of fact, in a month, I'm going to be going there. So what they do is they fly into Africa, and from there, they take a bush plane somewhere else. And once they get off the bush plane, they have to walk like five miles to, through the jungle. And they finally come, and he says, all of a sudden, they start hearing this music. Like, it's the music that I had heard before. And I look, and I see the thatched, the thatched roof. And, and he meets in there these pygmy, pygmy people. He says, the average height of these pygmy people were four foot seven. And as they begin to, to talk, he says... This is the name of our tribe, but we are considered the forgotten. <gasps> he says, all of a sudden, I realized this is the vision that God had given him, and he began to help and support. And he said, he says, what happened was I just began to live with them. He went back and forth and finally spent a year amongst them. And, and they started to call him the big pygmy. <laughs> He's six foot three. They're four foot seven. And so after a five-year hiatus from mixed martial arts, he went back into it. He began to fight. He called it fighting for the forgotten. And uh, I think he's still active in the ministry. I don't know if he's still active in fighting. And it's incredible that happen if you say, God, what are you doing? Are you saying, Pastor Mike, that if I say that prayer, you're going to be calling me to the pygmy people in Africa? Yes, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying to you. No, not. However, you just never know what happens when you say, God, I'm willing. I'm willing to do something. 
there was a there was a, a seminar that had happened, and they were talking about missions and how to be effective in missions. And there was a fellow whose name was Paul Borthwith, and he was talking, and he was talking about the fact that there are sweatshops in southeastern Asia that crank out many name brand clothes every day, and the people who are making them are starving to death, and they're chained to their sewing machines, and 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 they're like slaves. And and we are benefiting this from, as a society. And so the 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 the, the um conversation went should, and said this, should we boycott these companies for doing that? It's got to be something that we do. We should boycott them. And so they talked to one missions director that was there in Sri Lanka, and he said this, don't boycott them. What you need to do there in North America is you need to go into your businesses, and you need to become high up in the level of the businesses. And, and, and all of a sudden, you get to a position where you have authority to make decisions. You can make decisions that will change villages. And he talked about this, and he was in a church in New York, and he kind of explains this story. And there was a person who came up to him afterwards and said, that's a brilliant idea. And he said, we have a company that buys jeans from this company in Madagascar. And what we do is we buy these jeans for like a dollar each, and we sell them for $400. And he said, so what we did... As, as I had opportunity, I went to the person who was producing him and I said, so what would happen is how much would it cost for us to do something with the employees so that they could actually have health care and they could have better housing and that, and that the, the um, sanitation would be better and that we give them more reasonable hours and um, the people could actually be compensated. And so the company came back to them and said, we are very, very sorry. If you want us to do that, you're going to have to quadruple or probably quintuple. So a pair of jeans that normally costs a dollar, it's going to cost $5 a pair of jeans. He said, do it. Do it. We won't make the profit that we thought we were going to make, but we're still going to make a lot of money and people will be ministered to. I don't, I don't, like I'm talking to people here and, and I don't know your sphere of influence or what's going on. All I know is that God uses people who say, okay, God, what can I do? How can I make a difference? Maybe you're listening online and, and you're kind of mulling all this over. And you're listening to this and there might be a ministry that what you want me to do. Don't be surprised if God all of a sudden puts an idea in your head. And if that's the case, then you're in trouble. Then you act on it and see God do wonderful things. Like he did with George Mueller. Like he did with William Booth. And like he can do through you and me. Father, I just pray that... Uh, that you will minister beyond ourselves. That, that when we give our five loaves and our two fishes and we say, what's that? Among so many. It's amazing what you can do with five loaves and two fish. And Lord, as, as we listen to this message from Proverbs, I pray that it will minister to all of our hearts. And there might be people who are here who don't know you and are saying, that kind of rings with me, but I don't really know this Jesus thing well. It's real easy to know Jesus. You just got to give him your life. You got to ask him to forgive your sins and you have to ask him to come in. And, and if you're having troubles with that, we just pray you call the church or get in contact with us. We'll lead you in the right direction. But God, I just pray as, uh, as Pastor Glenn um, is here. I pray for the spirit of God to move. Not condemnation, a challenge to walk make a difference for you. And uh, Lord, there is joy in serving Jesus, not condemnation. 
Lord, I pray that you continue to challenge us as we come through a pandemic. There are going to be a lot of people who are in need. There are going to be a lot of people who are searching, and maybe there are people who are in need here. God, bless and minister to them. But I'm asking, God, that you'll do great things through us. I'm praying, God, that you will move in each and every individual, and that, God, you will be lifted up in this congregation because we want to be a light. We want to be the love of Jesus to people. And that doesn't happen if we hold back. (laughs) That happens when we say yes. So Lord, help us to say yes. And may you be glorified, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Let's continue the conversation online. Visit us at BethelBrandon.ca or follow us on Facebook.